As you know, I have been talking to you about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and of course referring it, uh, found in the book of Revelation, to marriage in a general sense. In other words, the marriage of uh, a man and a woman, and what it means to be married in Christ. Uh, the portion that I'm using of the marriage supper of the Lamb is found in the 19th chapter of Revelation, and it is that which precedes the close of the great tribulation upon the face of the earth, wherein God speaks of that in which little flesh shall live unless those days be shortened, and he says it will be in the latter days. And unless those days were shortened, little flesh would live on the face of the earth. And so while all of this is going on on earth, the church, which has been taken to its Lord, the bride of Christ, is going to first be at the judgment seat to answer for their lives since they've been Christians, and then after that, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, marriage was ordained by God for man that it might picture the relationship of Jesus Christ to his church. Let's never put it the other way. Let's place it as God would place it. In other words, marriage was set up by God in the intimate union of a man and a woman so that God could best portray to mankind that relationship which Christ would have for his church. There was the most wonderful relationship, the family relationship, the father and mother relationship, all stemming out of marriage, so that when in the scriptures God speaks of his son, or the apostles speak of Jesus Christ, it's always in a family relationship. It's as a father loves his children, so he loveth us. Jesus says, as the father hath loved me, so he loves you. It's always in the family relationship or in a relationship that's very intimate and very holy. It says, Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call you my brethren. Uh, and then, of course, he's the bridegroom of the church, and the church is his bride. So that every relationship is made of God. So to picture to us in the best way possible, because after all, we are finite minds and finite human beings. And God has no other way to impart to us the holiness and the closeness of the relationships he bears to us, except through these relationships that we do understand. Now, if we understand the relationship poorly, then we will understand Christ poorly. That's why relationships are so important. The relationship of a father with his children is a most important one. How will he ever know how his father in heaven feels about him unless his relationship to his own earthly children is of a good character, you see? How will it be possible for us to, to understand how Jesus 
feels toward us as a bridegroom to a bride unless our feelings as bridegrooms to our bride is that way. And for the unmarried, he, he still says, I am your bridegroom. You may not taste of the fleshly side of human love, but rest assured, that which I have for you is greater than all of these things, for fleshly love is but an instant in time. It may seem like an eternity to you to be without a mate, but I want to tell you, I'll supply everything you need, and finally you will have the deepest and holiest love you ever could have as my bride. He wants to make sure that he covers all of us. Now, the specific portion we're dealing with, of course, has to do with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And marriage is the best portrayal of this relationship. So when he says here in Revelation 19, let us be glad and rejoice, seventh verse, and give honor to him, speaking of God himself, the Lord God, omnipotence reigneth, as it just said. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. This is the last book of your New Testament now, if you're going to look at it with me, and I pray you are. And there are Bibles in the pews if you'd like to watch. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith to me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, the marriage supper of the Lamb is the relationship of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. This is carried out in every part of Scripture. Paul says that I might give you as a chaste bride, speaking of the church. He says the church is his body. When two people are joined together, they are made one. He says the church is his body, and ye are members of his flesh and of his bones. And there is the merging together, the coming together of the great bridegroom and the bride. And Paul says, I would that I might present you a chaste bride unto Christ. And this is his desire, that he might present us as a chaste bride unto our Savior. And so this marriage supper of the Lamb is a most important one. And then Ephesians, the fifth chapter, lets us know immediately that marriage is to portray to us what Christ's relationship is to his church. Now, may I say this, because this is a, a most important facet, I believe. You can really never understand marriage unless you know Christ. Now, I don't mean that you can't, you couldn't be happy. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this, we're not to be amazed that in the world we see marriages that are pretty good marriages. Uh, God says in Hebrews, marriage is honorable in all people. 
it's that which is commonly practiced throughout the earth. And I'm glad for marriage as a state function. It preserves the home. It preserves the family. And we're to realize that two people outside of Christ could get married, live reasonably moral lives, and have a reasonably happy life. This is entirely possible. I'm not saying this couldn't be. I would have to lie to say that people are not happy who are unsaved and don't know Christ and married. I know people who have fine marriages. I wish they knew Christ. It would transcend all that they know now if they knew Christ as their personal Savior. But I have to say this, that marriage to be really known as God wants it known would have to be between two Christians. Because it's only possible to know what God has for us in its complete joy and all of its fulfillment as the Holy Spirit of God dwells in two individual hearts and those hearts are merged together in one. So that that marriage can be said, the preacher could truthfully say, you know, as he pronounces a man and wife, I now join you together in the flesh and in the spirit. We can't say that of worldly marriages, he said. And then we can say with Jesus in Mark, where he says, whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Because this is the journey together of God. It's not a state function, you see entirely different. Now, over in Ephesians, in that fifth chapter, in the 32nd verse, I start there because it's the only way we can really get to understand what marriage is. Paul says, he talks about a husband and wife and how husbands are to love their wives and wives be in submission to their husbands. And then in that 32nd verse, I start with it so that we get the true picture of what marriage is. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Isn't that amazing? He has just described marriage in that portion of scripture that we all use in our wedding ceremonies in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. It's used commonly, it's in the book of prayer in the Episcopal Church. It's in all of the different uh, parts. In fact, I think when Tiny Tim got married, I think they used this portion when he got married on television. Let me not say too much about that. But this portion is commonly used, and it is to picture the joining together of Christ and his church. And he says, this is a great mystery. And if people do not understand it, it is because they have not understood the whole purposes of God concerning my precious son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want that relationship to be so high and so holy, whether you be single or married to him, so intimate and so close, because you know there's no other relationship on earth, God is saying, that is so intimate and so holy and so personal as marriage. 
Our relationship to our children, beloved, as holy and as deep as it is in our love for them, is nothing compared to the intimacy of marriage. Marriage is, is a complete sharing of each other. And so God wants that picture made so clear to our hearts. He wants us to understand it perfectly. And he says, here's what marriage is, but I'm going to show you a great mystery, and only a Christian will be able to understand this. I can assure you that when this is read in the common book of prayer or in other portions in the marriage ceremony, this verse 32 isn't mentioned. They talk about a husband loving his wife and a wife, well, they don't even get into that. They're afraid. Wives be in submission to your husbands. Most of them leave it out. They don't want any part of that. Leave that portion out. Don't put that in. I thank God I've never had any couple come to me and ask me to leave it out. But I can tell you there are churches throughout this nation and throughout this area where that portion would not be used about wives be in submission unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And all it is saying in this portion here is wives be in submission to your husbands as the Lord would have you be in submission. Remember, you're bearing a testimony for Christ when you're obedient to his word. And this has nothing to do with slavery. It has nothing to do with dictatorships. It's merely saying, God is saying, I made man first, I made woman out of man. I bring them back together, and there is to be from that man a holy love for his wife like Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. And in response to that love, there is to be a submission to him. For the man, Paul says, was made first, and the woman afterward. He says, this is, this is not something that should affect you so terribly in your mind that, that you get all rebellious and say, yeah, but uh, I'm for this feminism, femininism. I'm in this group where we've got to have equal rights. Beloved, may I say, you know, this is, this is so commonly heard today. You know, uh, I heard a woman on television the other day, and she's saying, yeah, she's, I don't know, like on a stump, you know, crying out for feminism. And I was thinking to myself, boy, it'd be wonderful if you were feminine. <laughs> but she's shouting it out. And she says, there's no proof that we are biologically or physiologically inferior to man. Well, now, I wouldn't have to go far to find proof for that. Every doctor will tell you that. In fact, the psychiatric field is most clear in this area, that there is a vast difference between a man and a woman. And it is not up to them to set the woman in her position or the man in his position. God has set us in the proper position, you see. And if we object to the teachings of God, then we are in for problems. We're in for trouble. And I can assure you that there is more trouble in the world today because of the departure from the things of God than can be imagined. And so let me read now. I read you the first part, that 32nd verse. This is a great mystery. 
But I am speaking concerning Christ and his church. Now let me go back to the 22nd verse. You know, incidentally, just previous to this is that verse, uh, I might just in passing say this, in the 18th verse, he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is in excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to tell you something. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not all of these ecstatic things that you think. You have taken it out of context. The context is, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit and prove it by your marriage. That's what it says. That's where he goes. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he rides right in through the context. He says, do you want to prove to the world that you're a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit? Then don't go out shouting, I want to know what your wife thinks of you at home. And I want to know what your husband thinks of you at home. Because it's not all of the ecstatic experiences that people claim and can talk about. But it's what God sees in that little home. And so he says, and be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunken with the excesses of wine. And then he goes right into... What is marriage? 21st verse, just a few verses later. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. It's the same portion. Wives, now he becomes specific, see? Are you filled with the Spirit? Submit yourself unto your husband, says, unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even, see, he has to bring Christ in all the time. As Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body, therefore as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved his church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their very own bodies. For he that loveth his wife, he is a high thing, loveth himself. Isn't that tremendous, huh? Have you, have you experienced that in your marriage? Have you? This is the holy oneness, you see, that God sees for Christians who are married. If you love your wife, men, in a very great sense you love yourself because you're part and parcel of each other. Members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And when the preacher makes that terse little phrase, you know, and ye too shall be one flesh. I wonder how serious it really seems to people that what God is saying, you're going to love this one just as deeply and holily as you consider yourself, as you think about yourself, as you are concerned about yourself. You who love your wives, 
wives. Notice that. Ought men to love their wives as their own bodies? For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. For we're members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And for this cause a man will leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Oh, God, give us a holy, holy concern for, number one, our relationship to Christ, that we see the oneness that we have with him, and then in married lives that they will see that oneness that they have with each other. Now, the heavenly bridegroom, if I can say this, bestows certain things upon his bride. I'm going to use this just in giving you some thoughts here. What does the heavenly bridegroom, I mentioned that last week, bestow upon his bride whom he loves so much? For what he bestows upon his bride, so does an earthly bridegroom who loves his Savior bestow upon his bride. Number one, he gives us his name. We're called Christians. We are in Christ. We're members of his flesh and of his bones. We've been made one with him. And his name is ours. You know, throughout the earth, it's always the same wherever you go. It's, you know, it's never, well, you know, I hear sometimes on television, I heard someone the other day, I don't know, some big woman or on the radio I think it was while I was riding in the car some woman who has a big name and her husband was on with her and uh, the husband said uh, in answer to a question yes I am often called Mr. So-and-so by her last name but you see this isn't so throughout the earth throughout the earth we're to remember that the woman receives the name of the man and so here we are, we've been joined to Christ and we have received his name. And when a woman is loved as God intended a woman to be loved, deeply and tenderly by her bridegroom, and she takes her place as God ordained she should take it and receives the name of her husband let me tell you, this is the divine place that God has given her and established it in heaven and made it so. And the cry for a superior feminism, something that God has never ordained, may I assure you of that. You can go from the beginning of the book to the end of the book and you'll find that God has always placed man in this position but to be the kind of a man that loves like Christ loved, this is the key. We have been defamed down through the years, if I might say. And if I would have to look to the Victorian age, I would say that this probably was one of the greatest errors of the Victorian age. That when men married women, the women became chattel. They did not become part of the man, part of his flesh and part of his bones. I would remind you that this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And this was written telling us that a man is to love his wife like Christ loved his church. 
that the man who loves his wife really loves himself because it innates part of the same body and you and I have become part of the body of Jesus Christ. This is not some new doctrine. This is that which Christ laid down. And unfortunately, in some ages where the church came into dominance, I am sad to say that men made women their chattel and men became dictators and men held them down. And there was not that glorious provision that God had made between the two of a love that was holy and tender and beautiful as God ordained it should be. We receive his name. He's given it to us. That name that's above every name in heaven and earth, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow. And Christ has given us his name, Christian. We're part of the very family of God. Then may I say there's no chance of separation or divorce with Jesus Christ. That's important. No chance of this, you see, because we've been made part of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, and as sinners when we came to him. He said, though your sins were scarlet, they shall be white as snow. As saints, he looks at us, he says, for as far as the east is from the west, so is thy sin removed from thee. And as the very sons of God, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will come into you and I will abide with you forever. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and him with me. Everything is saying, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But may I say, he does some other wonderful things for us. A husband provides certain things, doesn't he, for his family? Isn't this right, men? Provide certain things for your family. You provide the food. After all, you're the breadwinner. I hope. You provide the food. Your heavenly bridegroom supplies the food for his bride. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. He not only supplies the food, but he does a marvelous thing. I'm so thankful for this. Jesus, the great heavenly bridegroom, supplies the water and it's not polluted. Isn't that great? He says, whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall what? Never thirst again. He supplies the water of life. Eternal life. He supplies the food for us. And we must be most careful that we don't contaminate it. He supplies the perfect heavenly food for us. It is his word. My word, he says, is food indeed for your spiritual life together as a husband and wife. Remember, he says, your husband brings that which will purchase food for your table for you and your children. I supply the food for your family spiritually. 
Don't adulterate it. Don't take it and put additives in it. Take it as it is. You know how we hear today, if you buy a loaf of bread, it's got to have on it, in this bread has been added. You know, vitamin so-and-so, vitamin so-and-so, vitamin so-and-so. Well, the bread of life, beloved, is pure and wonderful. Remember how Israel in the wilderness made their mistake? They were receiving the manna from God in heaven, and they had been fed by God perfectly, and what did they do? They objected, and they said, Give us fowls to eat. And it said, And the Lord gave them their desire, but he brought leanness to their hearts. You want more than me, he said. That's what he's saying. And to us, beloved, he says, I'll give you that food. And that food is gloriously prepared by him. And pre-digested, if I might say. So that when you get it, it's right from the very heart of God, has no contamination, and the water is absolutely pure. Isn't it odd in this day, in the last day, that that's all we hear? I see Mr. Nixon's speech this week. His main theme will be on pollution of food and water. Isn't it good to have the pure bread of life? Isn't it good to have the pure water that feeds our famished soul and takes the thirst away? What would we do, beloved? This is what our bridegroom does for us. He guarantees us. It's never changed. Heaven and earth may pass away. My word will never pass away. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. It isn't going to make one bit of difference. It won't change because of changing times. There's a, I think there's a... Is it Kissing or someone has a, has, a, has a magazine? Changing times. There's no changing times with Jesus Christ. You'd think so if you listen to the world. But I would remind you that his bread, his food, that water which he gives, this is the heavenly bridegroom. Bridegroom, listen to me. With your wife you desire but one thing, that bridegroom you have, that God may allow you to supply the food for the table and to see that your family receives that which is pure in the physical sense. Now, I want to tell you, your heavenly bridegroom has a holier and a richer and a deeper love than you with all your love could ever have. And he wants you to have all of these glorious, pure things from his very hand. And then I might say, too, our heavenly bridegroom holds us brainless but not flawless. And this is a very important factor. Blameless, but not faultless. Now, you might say, well, what does it mean to be blameless, but not faultless? One day he will present us faultless before the throne of his glory. When the judgment seat of Christ is all through, everything cleared away, he's going to present us faultless. But right now, as Paul would say, concerning the law, I was blameless. In other words, Paul as a Jew was doing everything that he felt he had to do as a Jew. You are as a Christian. There is to be a blamelessness about your whole life. Let me give you a homey example, all right? Alice and I, when we first got married, 
You know what it is when you first get married and you're going to try out your cooking. And I can look back and I can remember that in one of those first uh, meals we had, you know, she knew the foods I liked very much. My mother and father had died when I was a young boy. But I had an aunt who had some German background, and I suppose if I were to stick to my Irish ancestors, I would have said to you, I love corned beef and cabbage. Well, I, it's all right. But I happen to like very, very much something, if I might use in the mundane terms, of spare ribs and sauerkraut. I guess I always had it once a week with my folks. And I can well remember those early days. Remember now what I'm speaking about, being blameless but not faultless. And I can remember in those early days that uh, I guess it was in the first few months of marriage, you know, that Alice decided she was going to give me a feast. And you'll forgive me, honey, for this. This all right? <laughs> I can tell you she's the best cook in the world. And I praise God for it. But I can remember those who were in our very young years. And I can remember she had gone and went out and purchased, you know, the food and brought it home. And she went about that process of cooking. And when I come home that night and we had mashed potatoes, and there was the sauerkraut and the spare ribs, you know, in a big dish and plenty of it. And my mouth was just watering. Oh, for all oh boy, it'd be wonderful. Well, I put a large portion on my plate. For I, my brother and I were tremendous eaters. I'm still a good eater, but uh, we were tremendous eaters. But I can remember, you know, I sat there, I tasted the potatoes, they were fine. So then I took a big piece, that is a sauerkraut, and I put it in my mouth. I couldn't swallow. <laughs> well, she had gone out and gotten corned spare ribs and threw it in with the sauerkraut and cooked them together. Now, fresh spare ribs, you see, would be all right, but corn was salt and salt, and I want to assure you the salt had not lost its savor. <laughs> well... She had first taken a little bit of the potatoes, and then she got to the sauerkraut and the pork, you see. And she took one mouth. Well, I hadn't swallowed the one I had in my mouth. <laughs> now, may I say this? My primary concern was this. If I did not love her deeply, you can imagine what my reaction would have been. But you know what my one thought was? Don't let her cry. For she was blameless. She tried to do her best for the man she loved. And she was blameless. Surely she wasn't faultless. But blameless, yes. And so our Savior looks at us this way. He holds us blameless if we are really trying our best to please him. Isn't that it? 
you see? Trying our best. Oh, how precious and how blessed this is. We're really trying our best to please him. And then, may I say this, he gives his beloved rest and he gives his beloved sleep. You know the scriptures? Listen. Come unto me, all ye that are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest for your soul. And then what? The other verse, he giveth his beloved what? Sleep. What a glorious bridegroom. Do you know? Do you know him? Hmm? Food, perfect and pure. Water, no pollution. Whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst again. Blameless because we want to please him. Never faultless now. We make our mistakes. But oh, we love him with all our hearts and we try our best to please him. He gives his beloved rest. Rest in him. And he gives us sweet sleep. Are you trusting him? This is the Savior. This is the bridegroom. And may I say this, husband, and may I say this, wife, I pray you have a husband like this. You know, it's, it's a glorious thing. If a wife can go to bed at night and sleep with great peace in her heart because of her husband and how he loves her. And if she rests completely, she trusts him and she looks at him and she trusts him. And all of these glorious things that I have spoken about are your portion. Because Paul says, Christian, I'm showing you a great mystery. I'm speaking of Christ and his church. But what I speak for Christ and his church, I speak for you in your married life and in your relationship to your Savior. May God seal it to our hearts. Let us pray. Now, Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word. Bless it to our hearts. Lord, when we think of our heavenly bridegroom and then we think of ourselves in our married lives, it's to <clears throat> guide and direct us into the kind of love that Jesus Christ had for his church. Lord, when married lives become this way and they're sweet savers unto God, and we're obedient, for this is what it takes in these things. It really takes obedience to God, bearing the testimony high of what Christ has done for us and showing it forth in our everyday life. It's not being considered a fine fellow in the world, but it's being considered a fine husband by the Lord. It's not being considered a fine woman out in the world by others or fashionable, but it's being considered a fine woman or a good wife and a good mother for the Lord. For this is what you called us to. And so, Father, bless this people. 
And if any have not yet come into the experiencing of the joining of themselves to Christ as their Savior and their Lord and becoming the very bride of Christ, the Lamb, we pray that today they might make that decision for Christ and really love him and find that every relationship has changed because they found him and he comes to dwell in their breast and then begins to dwell in their lives and guide and direct their footsteps. Oh, Lord, touch this people, this precious people. And may those words, Lord, which I have uttered with my lips be really the words of the Holy Spirit to teach us simple things that we may better understand Christ. We remember Paul says, be not removed from the simplicity that there is in Jesus Christ. Let us remember that. It's these simple things that God has given us to show us what Christ means to each of us. Lord, make our family lives a reflection so that the mystery that God speaks of may be experienced in our personal lives as Christians. We pray in his blessed name. Amen.